what I figured out is that the worst thing is to sit in the indecision, make a decision one way or the next. And if the decision you make is still bothering you and doesn't feel right, then maybe I need to make the other decision. We all make lots of decisions every day. Wouldn't it be great to know how to make the right decision every time? Unfortunately, that's just not possible. We simply don't have the ability to see every possible future outcome that each decision we make might cause. Part of being human is the ability we all have to look back, review and reconsider our past. This is what gives us the opportunity to develop wisdom, which we hope will enable us to make better decisions in the future. But one of the challenges we face is that when we look back, we can often easily see how a different decision could have been better. But would it really have been better? A different decision might produce different results, but that doesn't necessarily mean that those outcomes or results would be any better. They would just be different. So how do you make the best decision possible at any given time so that you can keep moving forwards towards your goals? How do you avoid overthinking, hesitation, and indecision? There is a way, and it's easier than you think. Hi, I'm Richard Ralston. Welcome to Focus on Progress, the podcast for you, the online business owner who wants to see more progress in your business, in your life, and in the lives of those you lead. If you struggle with indecision and want to learn how to make decisions faster so that you can move forward more quickly, then I think you're going to get a lot out of my conversation with Julie Cunningham. Julie is a registered dietitian, nutritionalist, and certified diabetes care and education specialist. And in this episode, we talk about how Julie had no idea what she wanted to do as a career and chose her vocation based on a news report. We talk about how her grandparents' health caused her to develop an interest in type 2 diabetes, how Julie made the transition from the corporate world to running her own private practice and then to becoming a freelance health and nutrition writer. We talk about how Julie deals with indecision and why she keeps what she calls a fuzzy file. As we chat, you'll also hear the moment when Julie has an insight about her future. Hi, Julie. Welcome to the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. So just to help our listeners out, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you're passionate about? What drives you, Julie? Well, I am a dietitian and a diabetes educator and also a board certified lactation consultant. And that is not really who I am, but what I do. So um, other than that, I guess I would say that I am a mom first. I have two kids. I have a 20-year-old and a 14-year-old. My eldest is in college uh, in engineering school, and my youngest is in eighth grade. So pretty much everything I do is for them. Yeah, other than that, I work. I have two little rescue dogs who need a lot of attention. One of them is in diapers and has been and will be for a long time, but uh, my family loves him and I cannot give him up. So there's that. I do spend a good bit of time at Sunset Beach, North Carolina, which is about five hours from here. Uh, anytime that I can, my family has a partial ownership of a house there. So that's something that we enjoy. Wow. It sounds like you stay pretty busy in your life. I do. Yeah. yeah. So tell us a little bit about your the work that you're currently doing. Who, who do you do it with? How do you help? And you're a writer as well, aren't you? I own a private practice, which is a nutrition counseling private practice that is specific to people with diabetes. Although sometimes I see people with other conditions as well. 
And the other half of the time I spend writing for health and wellness uh, companies. I create blog posts and content and emails and that sort of thing for health and wellness companies. Wow, Julie, that sounds like you stay really, really busy. So in your work life, how did you end up doing the things that you're doing now? Well, I started I started as a dietitian, believe it or not, because there was a U.S. News and World Report that came out when I was in college that said that the uh, jobs in nutrition were just going to explode, and so were the salaries. And I did not know what I wanted to be when I grew up. And nutritionist or dietitian was on one of my little, um, it was on the list of things that I would be good at according to the career center. And I had a, an academic scholarship to college and I needed to stay where I was. So voila, that's how I made my decision um, based on US News and World Report. <laughs> but I think that I ended up in diabetes specifically because I have uh, three of my four grandparents had diabetes. And so it was all type two and which of course is, is lifestyle related. And I come from the Southeastern US where sometimes it's called the stroke belt. Um, wow. The percentage of people with diabetes is very high here. So I watched as I was a kid, I watched my family with all of these health problems and I did not want to be that. And I also mm. really like diabetes because if a person makes significant changes in their eating habits, or even if they start medication, or if we get their insulin right, they can go from a blood sugar of 400 today to a blood sugar of 200 tomorrow. So I get instant feedback and instant gratification from that condition in particular, where I might not with some other conditions. And, and that can change their life, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. There's, you know, it's the ramifications of poorly controlled diabetes are just absolutely terrible. Blindness and dialysis and loss of fingers and toes. And it, it's completely preventable and it just doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I didn't, I, I know a little bit about di diabetes and type two, but um, not, not that much. That's, that's uh, incredibly interesting and actually shocking when you realize that it is lifestyle related and we can do something about it. 10% of American adults have diabetes and 30% have prediabetes. So 40% of the U.S. population has a blood sugar that is not well controlled. Right. So because this was so uh, so close to your family, I can see how you, you are so passionate about that. So you got mm -hmm. qualified. And then where did that lead you after that? My first job was as nutrition director for a very tiny health department. I was the director and the employee and, and everything. I don't know why they called me the director because I was really directing myself and uh, to clerical staff. So I started there and pretty quickly I transferred to a, a larger health department where I worked in a high risk prenatal clinic. And we had a ton of gestational diabetes there. And that was really my favorite thing. And then I moved to a different town uh, to the town where I live now. And the only job that was open was as a dietitian slash diabetes educator. 
So at that point, I was just a dietitian and not a diabetes educator. And so they said, well, you have so long to get this certification or, you know, you can't work here anymore. So I did. I got that certification. And unbeknownst to me, um, they had plans to close the program down if I could not make it work. But they did not tell me that. Ahead oh, of time. my goodness. So um, <laughs> it worked out OK. And I worked there six or seven years. And then the economy went down and I took a traveling job, which was supposed to be work from home, but really was work from the Holiday Inn. And uh, I did not enjoy that. And so consequently, um, in a few years after that, I, I started my own business so that I could be more flexible with my children. Right. So were you traveling at the same time that you had children? I was. My children were small. I had a, gosh, a three-year-old and an eight-year-old, and it, it was not working well at all to the point that I was having chest pain. I was waking up with chest pain in the morning. So uh, that is the only job that I have ever quit uh, without having another job to go to, but I just couldn't take it. And I gave my notice and, and I got out. Yeah. Wow. Sounds like that was a wise thing to do. And, and not easy, I imagine, although, um, well, not easy in terms of the fact that you didn't have another job to go to, but, but I guess easy knowing that it was the right thing to do. It was not easy at all, even though I knew it was the right thing to do. Uh, I was making the majority of income in my household, so there was that. The job came with a company car. You know, it came with full benefits. It, it was a, on paper, it was a great job, but it just did not work for my family. Mm. So ultimately, after much, much, much debate, it, it had to go. Right. So. And so I imagine there have been a whole bunch of other things that have also led you to where you are now. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now and the people that you're working with and the writing that you're doing. Hmm. Uh, well, in my private practice, I have, you know, about a half time private practice and usually I get referrals from physicians and I, I bill insurance because I do want to protect, you know, I think people pay for their health insurance and they should be able to use those benefits. So that's that. And then on the writing side, I took a course a few years ago from a friend who is also a dietitian writer. And she said, look, I know you think this is complicated, but this is this is not that hard. All you have to do is put yourself out there as a writer and you will get work. And I thought, oh, that cannot be true. You know, <laughs> I've always been a decent writer. I remember um, winning a writing contest when I was in high school. And I remember having a friend who was majoring in um, journalism when I was in college and thinking, wow, that would be so great. But I also had always heard that, you know, writers don't make any money. You can't make a living being a writer. So I did not pursue that. So anyway, my friend says, look, just put yourself out there and you, the jobs will come. You will get the work. And I thought, that's not true. But I did what she said. And I changed my LinkedIn profile to say that I was a freelance health and nutrition writer. And within a month or so, I was contacted by an editor and she said, hey, we like what you're putting out and we'd like you to write for us. And this was a huge, this is a huge international company. And I thought, this is not right. And the rate that they quoted me was more than I ever could have hoped for. 
And so I said to my friend, I said, this is a typo, right? This is not, this is not real. She said, no, that's real. That's a good rate. You, you need to take the job. Yeah. So I got on the phone with the lady from the company and she said, I'm so sorry. I misquoted you on the rate. And I thought, oh, oh, here it is. She says, I misquoted you on the rate. It's actually a little bit higher than that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, thank you, thank you, thank you, God. This is a godsend. So I have been with them ever since and have branched out from there. Oh, that is a fantastic story. So a lot of what we talk about on this podcast is about how people make progress, how they move forward. And you've told us a whole lot of different stories about your life and uh, things that you've done. What is it about you or, or how you approach life that has helped you make so much progress to where you are now? I have always been a rule follower. If you give me a set of rules, I will follow them absolutely to the T. And in the beginning, that I think that that did not serve me well, really, in the beginning, because the rule was, if you behave yourself, if you do everything you're supposed to do, if you graduate high school and you go to college, and then you will get married and then you will have 2.5 children and a dog and, you know, everything will be beautifully aligned for you. And I followed all the rules and I still got a divorce and that was terrible mm. and devastating. Mm. And I thought, you know, I, I, I'm, I've done everything I'm supposed to do. How could this possibly happen to me? And I had to do some work to figure out that, you know, I did everything that I could do and it really was not my fault and, and it's okay to move through that. And so then I had to reorganize my life or as a single mother. And I had to say, okay, this, this corporate track is not working for me. Mm. I've got to be flexible and I've got to find another track that does work for me. And maybe there's a different set of rules for this. So I did follow the rules. I followed my friend's rules, you know, how to set up a writing business. I followed the rules about how to set up a private practice. But after that, I stopped following the rules and I figured out to, to go with my gut more than what someone else tells me to do. Right. And so there must have still been hard decisions in that, though. There must have been uncertainties that you faced. And ch and challenges There's a ton too. of uncertainty, an absolute ton. You know, when I when I left my my uh, last nine to five, I said to my boss, I said, I can't do this. I said, I I have to do something different. I'm away from my home sixty hours a week. My children are suffering. My parents are getting older, and they they can't watch my kids forever like this. Something has to give. And she said, What do you want to do? And I said, I want to start a private practice. And she said, Well, go. She said, work four days a week here and one day a week at your private practice. And I said, okay. And then in another few months, I said, I can't do this. I have to quit. I, my private practice is growing and, and I can't keep working here. And she said, we'll go three days a week and work two days a week at your private practice. And I said, okay. So she kept letting me do that. And then finally I was working as a supervisor, but I was only working one day a week. And I said, listen, 
I really, really cannot do this. And so we parted ways and, and everything was amicable. But there's a ton of indecision. And what I figured out is that the worst thing is to sit in the indecision. Make a decision one way or the next. And if the decision you make is still bothering you and doesn't feel right, then maybe I need to make the other decision. Wow. Wow, I, I'm not even quite sure what to say to that. That is a challenge, and I know that I know that many of us uh, find it very, very challenging when we have to make a decision like that. And I know mm-hmm. for myself, I'll often, <laughs> those who know me, I'll often overthink it. I will try and work out what all the outcomes mm-hmm. are of both options, or sometimes more than two options, and and in that even trying to figure that out and make the best decision, what I've discovered is that I still don't know necessarily what the best decision mm-hmm. is, obviously, because I can't tell the future, right? Right. So Maybe what... I didn't make the best decision. Maybe I would have gotten, um, maybe I could have been head of the whole agency by now if I'd have stayed where I was. So I don't know. No one ever knows if it was the best decision or not. But I know that I, I just my best decision was to be near my kids and there's always another job so i'm i'm glad in retrospect even though financially you know it it may not have been the best decision in the long run but it was the best decision for you and your kids and the kind of higher values that you held yeah yeah so how do those how do your values play into your decision making on everyday life and the projects you do and helping you stay focused? Well, um, I am lucky enough now. I I was working from home, and I'm lucky enough now to have an office space. So I work at work and I don't work at home, which is very helpful. Um, when I was in the house it was really difficult to bounce back and forth between paying attention to my family and paying attention to my job. So many people are happy with that, but I'm very happy with the separation. Separation of duties is what I call it in my mind. Uh, And, you know, I make sure that when my kids are out of school, you know, my, my older son is coming home from college. When they're home, my schedule is very light and it may be nothing. And they have long holiday breaks, but that's okay. That was the point of taking this path is so that I can have that flexibility. And if I don't take advantage of it, I might as well be working the other job. So family and flexibility are a high value to you. Yes. Yes. Very high. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about how you reflect now on the progress you've made and the successes that you've had. Do do you think about them very much? Is that something that motivates you? Do you look backwards and celebrate or are you always looking forward to the next thing? I just published a book last week and someone emailed me and said, how are you going to celebrate? And I said, I don't know. I hadn't even thought of celebrating. So I suppose the answer to that question is, I'm always looking to the next thing. I'm not very good at celebrating success. 
Um, although I should be, you know, if I take stock and I, and I think about it, I can say to myself, Hey, I grew this business from absolutely nothing. And now mm -hmm. it supports my family and, and that's awesome. So it is something to be proud of, but not my natural tendency. My natural tendency is, well, what book could I write next? And, and what client could I get next? And what, what, what's next, 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 next. So. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that's fairly true for a lot of the entrepreneurs that I talk to. You know, we are a very forward looking bunch. Um, but I know I've had lots of experiences in my own life when I have stopped and looked back. And like everybody else, I don't do this enough either. But I've stopped and looked back and actually been quite surprised um, about what I've actually accomplished. And it feels good. It's something I think we do need to do more often, Julie. Mm -hmm. Someone taught me a long time ago to keep what they called a fuzzy file. So this was really a long time ago before everybody was on computers all the time. But I have a red folder in my um, file cabinet and it's labeled the fuzzy file. And when someone sends me something warm and fuzzy, it goes in the fuzzy file. So if I'm having not a fabulous day, I can look and look in there and say, hey, look at this. Look at all these. It may not be an actual accomplishment. It might be a, a thank you so much. You really helped me type of a message, but it's there. That is a great idea. I love the idea of a fuzzy file. <laughs> because there's many things like that, that we just, um, we just discard and we go, oh, yeah, thank you, you know, and, and we might say thank you, we might be polite about it, but we don't mm -hmm. necessarily take it. Maybe we don't take it to heart, maybe as much as we should. And that actually, the things that we've done in our lives have had an impact on people. They have changed people's lives. And I think it's worth celebrating that. Yeah, there's nothing as fabulous to me in, in the workspace as when a client comes and says, you know what, I was I was going to lose my vision. I was going on dialysis and you helped me turn it around. I mean, that's tremendously rewarding. Yeah. 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 Wow. So looking forward, what what's what's happening next? What's what's next for for Julie Cunningham? <laughs> what is next for me? I'm having a little struggle with that because as you know, I'm doing two things. Um, I really enjoy seeing clients and I also really enjoy the writing. I financially writing is much more lucrative, but I feel like I don't want to take my finger off the pulse of client work. At the same time, if you're focused on two different things, you know, a lot of efficiency gets lost that way. Mm. So um, I have said to myself, okay, I'm going to transition to writing almost all the time. But then people keep calling. <laughs> so um, yeah, I don't know. And, and when people keep calling, it's money in the bank, right? It is. It is immediate money in the bank. And, you know, I feel I'm one of the few providers in my area who takes um, certain types of health insurance. And so I know that they will not be able to find another provider easily. And so that that makes me feel a little bit guilty. So, Julian, all that you're doing and looking back over your life and thinking about where you want to go, 
in the future and especially with your writing and uh, what what is the tension what are the challenges for you right now i would say the tension or the challenge for me right now is letting go of the individual client work which really i know that i need to do and ramping up the writing to where that is plenty of income you know i support mm. my children and myself and and the reason why I really want to do that is that in a few years, I'm going to be an empty nester and I would like to have the ability to travel. Hmm. I can't travel and run a private practice and I can travel and write. And I know that. So it's hard for me to really let go of the one-on-one -on -one work. Um, and part of that is just, do you know the sunk cost fallacy? Yes. I put so much in and put so much in and put so much in and now I don't want to throw it in the trash. Part of that is just letting go of the idea that I'm throwing it in the trash. Right. And if I think about it, I'm not throwing it in the trash. You know, I use all of that background when I write for other people or maybe, you know, I run courses for people with diabetes that are online. I'm still using those same skills. So I'm not throwing it in the trash. And I know that logically, but getting there emotionally is different. So if somebody else was to come to you and tell you that they had that dilemma, <laughs> what, what, what would you say to them? I would say, honey, have you lost your mind? I would say, look, look at your spreadsheet. Look how much income you make by the hour doing this and look how much income you make by the hour doing the other. And the writing pays you better and it fits the life that you want to have. So why, why are you struggling with yourself? That's a good question. That's what I would say. <laughs> so, so Julie, why are you struggling with yourself? <laughs> um, a really good question. It's not very bright. It's not, it's not a good or logical decision and I need to stop. Yeah. I need to stop. Fear. Fear is why. Fear. That's the answer. What if? What if I ramp down my client work and ramp up my writing work and the writing work disappears? But you know what? This is the same struggle that I had when I quit my nine to five. When I'm just putting that together right now with you in my mind. What if I quit my nine to five and my business doesn't fly, but it did fly. And now I'm, what if I quit my one-on-one -on -one business and my writing business doesn't fly, but it is flying. So, haha, thank you for that. That's beautiful. <laughs> it's, it's exciting, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I totally believe that each of us has so much more uh, potential than we realize. And even using the word realize, I love that word realize because I think we have to realize something internally in our own thinking, in our own belief system before it can be realized in the concrete material world. It's like everything is created twice. It's like there is a design first before that design gets built and it sounds like you might have just uh 
discovered something. You might have just had a realization that could change things for you. I just got that parallel between the the angst that I had with quitting the nine to five and going to the the private practice. And now it's it's the same angst all over again. And I did not put that I did not put that together until right this minute. Wow, that is so exciting. So exciting to hear. Well, we might have to have you back on another podcast episode in the future <laughs> to uh, continue the story. Julie, it's been absolutely wonderful to chat with you today. If people want to get in contact with you, where can they do that? Uh, yeah, they can go to my website, which is just like my name. It's Julie Cunningham RD, which stands for registered dietitian.com. Fantastic. And of course, you have a book out. So we will link to that in the show notes as well for anybody who's interested. And so just as we come to the end, Julie, if there was one idea or one thought that you'd like to uh, leave people with about goal setting, about making progress, about moving forward, what would that be? Well, I'm going to have to borrow from you. This is the only, this is what pops into my head, which is just take the next tiny step. Just take the next tiny little step and see where you go. Thank you, Julie. It's been wonderful to chat with you today. Great to be here. Thank you, Richard. Well, what an interesting discussion. I do want to add a word of caution here, though. I think there are very, very few decisions we make that are what I would call point of no return decisions. The sorts of decisions that cause outcomes that are irreversible. However, if you are facing a decision that you feel is so big that you think it could permanently change the course of your life, then I really encourage you to seek wise counsel. Talk to those you're closest to, those who matter to you most, and even consider getting professional help. And take your time. You almost always have more time to make the really big decisions in your life than you think. One of the things I found really fascinating was the way Julie talked about indecision being the worst place to find yourself in. The strategy she shared to get out of indecision was to simply make a decision and then see where that led her. And after a while, if the decision didn't feel right, then she'd simply make another decision and keep moving forward. If you find yourself stuck in a cycle of indecision, maybe you'd like to try simply making a decision like Julie does and see where that leads you. You can always make another decision whenever you want to. If you're interested in finding out more about Julie, please check out the links in the show notes below. As I'm sure you've realized, I'm passionate about helping people make progress. One of the ways I do this is through helping membership owners and course creators set up progress pod accountability groups that use the next tiny step method. If you'd like to find out more about our progress pod accountability group system and how it can help you increase your membership retention, go to richardrelston.com. There's a link in the show notes below. You can also connect with me on Instagram at richardrelston. And if you've heard something in this episode that you thought was interesting, helpful or valuable, I'd really appreciate it if you would take the next tiny step and head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review over there. You might also like to share this podcast with a friend. And please remember to hit that subscribe button. And until next time, remember to use the next tiny step method to help you focus on progress because it's your tiny steps taken consistently over time that will enable you to produce massive results. Thank you.